Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, joined by Katie Flower, the official podcast of UTHDynasty.com, home to over 300 premium podcasts. If you have been listening uh, or if you're just checking out the most recent content, going through and getting some 1.0 profiles, uh, player spotlights for some of the notable players among the 2021 eligible um, NFL draft prospects. So there's already a handful, five to ten uh, of the most prominent running backs, wide receivers. We'll mix in a few tight ends and call it a day. That'll probably be all we have time for before we get to legitimate NFL activities. But we also got a UTH trade calculator and a host of metrics and rankings to help you have your best season and just shift the tide of your results for Dynasty Leagues going forward. Uh, so support the podcast, sign up as a general manager subscriber, and you will not regret it and you have money back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose uh katie we have a, a couple news items we're still getting drips uh we're gonna start to get a giant bucket turning over on our heads pretty pretty soon i'm sure with cascading injuries um and just changing depth charts not via preseason games but we are so very close to that but we still have news uh let's start with the potentially most impactful one which is Darius Geis being released um, also, uh, we would hear Jordan say his his go-to line, which is there's a lot to play out in terms of the legal ramifications here. For us, though, where we stand is he has been released. Um, He had some character issues. He's also had a litany of durability and injury issues. So we've seen him for five games over two years, and I think it's safe to assume he passed through waivers, but... I mean, outside of something spectacular happening, I would think that the odds are we don't see him playing this year. So that would be three years removed. And I still think back to when it was Geis, Chubb, Chubb, Geis at 102, 103 zone uh, of those May rookie drafts um, a couple of years ago, Katie. And man, how much has happened for those two players in opposite directions since then? Absolutely. Um, I think he's done. He's done with the NFL. He's probably going to end up in jail. And if I I had one share of him and it's in a league that is dissolving, so I don't have to worry about the question, do you sell him, do you keep him? If you can get anything for him, if you can get a rock for him, I would take that rock. rock. I would take that rock. I, I really have completely, I, I think the talent is there, but he's an asshole. Pardon the French, but he's okay. just... Somebody that hasn't learned, won't learn. You don't put your hands on a woman. You don't strangle a woman. And from the, he said, she said, I I read something on Twitter. The guy was a defense attorney. I can't remember his name. I think it was Davenport, if anybody wants to search for him. But he had like a 16 Twitter post on his take on the whole thing. And I haven't heard or seen Jordan's sorry, Uh, hadn't seen or heard Jordan's take on it, but because they didn't even 
bring him in for questioning. Washington, you mean? Yes, because Washington didn't even bring him in for questioning. That means that there was enough evidence presented uh, by whoever presented it to him that they felt they didn't even need to, and that's not good news for Darius Geis. The internal investigation right. line, you know, some, you know, we're looking into it, and doing our own, you know, fact checking, and and that may only be, you know, hours. It may be a day or two, whatever. But the fact that it was so swift, and I, I wanted to ask you, and maybe this is the short brevity answer, and we'll get to, you know, Washington post Darius guys here yeah. in a second. But for for guys, is it Kareem Hunt was the name I thought of? Now, obviously, is it the low hanging fruit here of Kareem Hunt gets another chance? And is that largely because, well, look what he did on the field before this happened where Darius Geis, you say he had, what, two, three good games and he played in five. I mean, is it, is it that easy of an answer? Um, and, or, you know, is it so massively different from a, you know, from a transgression in standpoint? In my opinion, based on what I've seen of other situations – He's got three strikes against him. Number one, he had issues in college. Number two, he turned himself in, and and I really think that he's probably going to end up in jail. But number three, because he never really got a chance to prove himself on the field because of the injuries, people aren't going to touch him. I don't believe. Even if he gets a six-game or eight-game suspension for first time, whatever, even if he does for some reason plea out and avoids jail time but ends up... That would be sitting... That that suspension would be sitting out there, right? I mean, for a team a la Antonio Brown, right? I mean, it was undeclared, and then it's now he's suspended, but he's still not on a team. Right. So that that status may be in 2021. Let's paint a best-case scenario, like you said, right? I mean... Let's say legally he it gets uh, dismissed or, you know, just he doesn't go to jail, as you said, then there could be a suspension, you know, and then it's what team is going to take a shot on him. And then is he going to be healthy? And then there's going to be high competition because you're not really grandfathered in with anything in terms of the team that drafted you. There's that draft commitment and you sort of get some wiggle room for X amount of time for that. Right. None of that. Right. You d- there's okay. he doesn't have anything in his favor. Right. The thing I've been thinking with Geis is, and I actually, it was an orphan takeover. I have him on two or three of these type of teams from this offseason, but it's a, we'll call it a modest roster. I believe they're like 24 man. And I just, it felt weird. I shopped them around, but ultimately I dropped him to make one of my rookie picks. And I, it felt weird doing it. But the more I thought about it, like you're just not going to be in that type of depth. Depth, you just can't hang on to them. It's going to be especially this season with how much turnover, how many spot start opportunities you may need to pick up, and maybe out there viably for you to pick up. I just can't see a way he makes it through your knowing that this year is basically a wash. You don't know his status at all. You may learn his status at a critical point, and then if you drop him at that point where you, you the, legally it's going the wrong way on you and say that's in a month or two months or whatever and you've held on to him till then and then you find out and then you drop him at that point, how many opportunities did you miss with that alone? And roster-wise, you're going to get no protection because it's not like you can stash him on the IR. Exactly. So that's my that would be my con statement. And what I would say, deep enough, Katie, you say you're still out, right? Bag of peanuts, sell them for a future fourth or something and move on. Even if it's 30, 35, man, is that... 
Is that your your take? Even if I think there's other stash players that would be better for the spot. Okay. okay, gotcha. All right, so that clarifies that. Now, Washington with where we are remaining pieces. We've got Adrian Peterson, which has now turned into pretty nice stash if you held him all the way through. Looks like the the pretty easy bet to lead the team in, in carries and, and touches in week one, or at least to start the season. Bryce Love, fingers crossed. Is he healthy? They drafted him in the fourth round despite – you know, fully being, uh, I think it was four months removed from an ACL at that point in his last college game. That's just, you know, horrific timing for Bryce Love. But he's still early day three pick. We've obviously got Antonio Gibson. And we've got Peyton Barber, who was a, a signing where you say, boy, why did he go there? But now it's looking a little better, at least with Darius Geis out of the picture, who's going to be likely heavily involved. Yeah, I'd say it's Adrian Peterson and Peyton Barber show. Okay, show meaning... That's who's I mean, got it this guy. year unless an injury or something happens. I think okay. those two so are going to be the the main running backs for that backfield. Now, that's not to say that they're not going to try to use Antonio Gibson like a Swiss Army knife. Um, in, in he's, he may end up you know, playing more wide receiver than running back, even though they technically have tagged him as a running back. Um I think he'll get some some play, but I don't think he's going to like be the guy. And I don't think Bryce Love is going to be the guy. I think it's going to be split between Peyton Barber and Adrian Peterson until or unless something happens. Okay. So that would mean, I guess, deductive reasoning from what you're saying is Gibson, and I actually I, I wrote down a few trades here, that, uh, that Gibson is much more of a longer range trajectory than thinking he's going to have these these spikes or you know a random game here or there where it's like wow look at Antonio Gibson and a lot of fantasy shows redraft or otherwise are talking about did you see what Antonio Gibson did this week Antonio Gibson is very raw he has great tools he's got great speed he's a big guy and we've talked to him he's a great guy he's he's excellent and he's willing to put in the work and do anything I think he's going to be more of a football player that's an asset to the to the uh, Washington football team I almost said their old name uh, Washington football team than he will be in fantasy at least right away he he didn't get a lot of snaps at running back in college he hasn't learned all the nuances of the position or any position because he was jo- he was around. I mean, he's a great special teamer. I think he will be an asset to the football team more so than a fantasy team until he gets acclimated into the NFL. And who knows how long that's going to take. Yeah, I mean, I I would I will paint a little more of a rosy picture um, just because uh, you know. Again, I don't think I think Peyton Barber is an okay back. You know, in NFL terms, he's definitely overachieved from his draft status and sort of his profile coming into the NFL. And he's actually been the 1A for moments in time in his in his career. But he's he's that grinder type. Um, Adrian Peterson is 35, 36, and he's an all-timer. So you, no way do you take that away from him and you don't bet against Adrian Peterson until he's at home and not in the NFL. Um, but I think, again, it could could it be the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none? Absolutely. 
Um, we saw Gibson at the Senior Bowl play running back. Uh, I don't th- I don't think he saw one snap at wide receiver, and he looked the part. He did. Uh, he made he made two or three runs that were better than pretty much all the other running backs combined outside of maybe one. Um, so he was definitely the highlight in terms of looking the part. And it does, it is such a rare scenario, his lack of usage, especially as a pure runner. Um, but it's not unprecedented. I mean, let's rewind. I mean, was Josh Jacobs really a traditional running back when you look at his profile last year? Goes in the first round. Um, you know, there's a number of guys that have low uh, rushing scores that have been drafted in the top 100 that have, have turned out. Why? Because that sort of pedigree at running back, and I, I think maybe that's where it lies. I mean, if you view him, and you meaning the the collaborative fantasy you view him as a a wild card position then you know then you're not going to view him like he was drafted 66 overall and he's a running back even though that's his this designation by the NFL and that's his designation uh you know for fantasy terms uh as of now um and it, and we know it kind of takes especially on offense it takes a it takes a lot to change the position that they are uh, allocated towards, um, you know, it more it, it happens a lot on defense. You know, like outside linebacker, defensive end, these blurry lines. You know, safety, uh, linebacker. These types of things happen a lot more than on offense. Suddenly, we have a tight end that's a wide receiver. I'm thinking about Ricky Seals Jones. Like, does yep. that sound right? I mean, he was obviously a wide receiver prospect, and you morphed into that. Tim Wright was one. I remember he was, you know, tight end. Wide. He was a wide receiver prospect. Ended up as a tight end eligibility and had a really nice uh, rookie season and early career in general. Um, but for Antonio Gibson, I just I just can't get past the, the size-movement combination and the fact that he kind of checks so many rare boxes that it's just hard to find a guy, and you're saying that you can get him, you know, that – you know, I, I don't know about today. Where does he go in a rookie draft today? I haven't seen any data points in the last four or five days. But basically, you could get him for three months at what two oh four to two ten. Oh Maybe no, some any, people, anywhere from two oh four to three ten. I mean, three ten. Yeah, okay. depending on who else was right. in your draft, and at those prices, again, I love the guy, and if he pleasantly overachieves and and does catch on quicker, then great. I've got a lot of shares of him, but unless somebody is beating down my door with a big offer, I'd rather see what that juiciness is. That is him rather than just sell him for peanuts or a a quick profit or a short profit, like uh, trade him for the, for a late first for next year. I don't know that. I think that he's got way more potential if he does win the starting job to be worth a heck of a lot more. Uh, And I'm willing to take that chance. I got him for the most part at a steal anywhere mid second to mid third. And he's, he's, the kind of player where, uh, again, well, I- you just bank on that type of profile at that price, and you say, "I know the odds. I know that there are. He may turn out to, like you said, be a flash and dash. What's his actual position? Jack of all trades, doing return stuff. You know, running the ball three or four times, catching two, three, four passes, and never truly fantasy viable." in in a macro sense. That is possible. But what I would say is if he's successful doing those types of things, because he's been a big play and scoring maven when he's had the ball, 
point blank period and stop at Memphis. So you could say something's missing. Why didn't he get more touches? Why didn't this? That's true. But if he does that on an NFL level, he will big business building a team. NFL teams know the small margins between winning and losing and dynamic big plays are exactly a game changer. So if he does that on a small scale, it is well within expectation he would get more opportunity. Absolutely. So it's almost going to be binary of, you know, if he is flashing and doing positive things with his sparse opportunities this year, whatever in whatever mechanism, it stands to reason that he would get more opportunities in that setting. And the one other thing I would mention is if you think he's a running back, well, 66 overall running backs within their first two seasons, generally they get a chance to, to be an NFL starter for some, whether it's via injury, whether it's overtaking, whether it's the season's kind of over. You know, if the Redskins are basically out of things and they got three games left to play, why would you play Adrian Peterson, you know, for, for 22 carries a game in that setting? It just doesn't make a, when you have Gibson here and you say, let's see what we have for next year. Let's see with Bryce Love as well. Let's see what we have instead of like, so let's know, do we feel like we need to bolster the position or do we feel pretty good? And you can't really say that about Adrian Peterson at this point. Right. But for actionable items for our listeners, yes. you're not going to buy him right now at his current price. You're happy that you bought him, you know, if you took our advice a few months ago, anywhere from mid-second to mid-third, super. My advice, though, is to sit on that powder keg. Oh, yeah until he really explodes, there's a lot of skeptics out there. And there's not anybody, if there's not somebody beating down your door, I wouldn't go shopping him, is what I'm trying to say. I would hold on to him and let him simmer, let him prove it to the world, what he is capable of doing. And then you're going to reap a big reward if you choose to sell him as compared to rush sell just based on this news you're probably going to shortchange yourself and be miserable about it in the long run well here are a few deals i saw in the then this is since uh, darius guys so this is as, as close to what's actually happening out there as i could find so you tell me if this is a yep sell gibson for this price or like you said is this the stay patient and there might be more reward in the future antonio gibson and jerry judy for amari cooper I would want the Jerry Judy and Gibson combo. Okay. Uh, Antonio Gibson was traded straight up for A.J. Dillon. I would take A.J. Dillon. Okay. And yeah, I mean, like you said, they could be pretty close in where they went in the rookie draft, or they could be as much as maybe a round apart, uh, depending on, you know, Dillon going high or low. Uh, Gibson for a 21 first and second. No, I wouldn't do that. If it's a okay. rando, if it's a random, yeah. random first and second, and it's not super flex, that really, to me, I'd rather see what I get. The season right. hasn't even started. Let's see what you got. If think Adrian Peterson gets injured then, or right. he's out for three games, it could be game on. Right. I just, I think that's yeah. what I would, that's what I would consider kicking the can down the road. Okay. Yes, you potentially made a profit, but it depends on who you take, who you get, who you're staring at, looking at with that first right. and second. Especially to think, because again, if you're thinking central to running backs, and that ends up one ten and two ten, let's say, I mean, are you really stacking those two together and getting a better package than an early third round guy with the 
physical and dynamic upside profile potential of Gibson. Right. I'm going to say right now, the answer is probably not. Right. Especially, like you said, if it's not a super flex. Right. And you're not going to have a se- you might not have much of a season or many data points in 2020 to go off of to start with. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, Gibson for mi- Mr. Uh, Mr. Katie, which is uh, Mr. Todd Gurley, because you're a girly girl. I am a girly girl. Um, contender. What if you're a contender? If I, Katie? Yeah. If I'm a contender, if I'm a contender, I want I want TG. Okay. There you go. Uh, now Gibson for Kareem Hunt. Mm, Gibson. Okay. So there we go. It's a mixed bag. Um, it seems like in general, you took Dylan, you took Gurley, uh, but otherwise it, you said stand firm on Gibson. So you're pretty 50-50 on the deals out there. Yeah. All right. Um, and this one, I didn't start with this because there's probably little juice in it, but Katie, what was your reaction to Lamar Miller signing finally this offseason with the New England Patriots? After I threw up, I wiped my face and made sure I didn't have any of that on me. <laughs> then I brushed my teeth because it tasted gross yeah. in my mouth. Okay. What what do you take? So what do you think it means? It doesn't have to be about Miller. Do you think it actually I think it, moves it the means, needle for anybody? I think it just means that Sony Michelle may be longer on the pup than we had originally thought, and they're just protecting okay. themselves because of COVID and because of depth. They're just protecting themselves. He probably I didn't even see the contract, but I think it was a one year prove it type deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very low. Yeah. And I just kind of wonder, you know, why why sign with the Patriots? now is what i would say because it's really he and freeman out there i mean those are the two devonta freeman those are the two notable veterans that you could say 1a 1b 2a whatever it is you could pretty much plug and play them as productive veterans into that role a la adrian peterson a couple years ago you say not on that level um historically but you could say if your starter goes down and i just think Miller should have played a little more chicken. If you were trying to get a, a, an actual stage, an opportunity to play yourself into significant work this year and potentially staying in the league in 2021, this doesn't really feel like it. Like, I think you should have waited till later August. There's bound to be in the two-week ramp up to the season or whatever, even without game action, there's bound to be someone go down, right? I mean, even if it's just a significant pulled hammy and they're going to be out for a little bit to miss the season, let's say, to miss the early part of the season, you still have a stage. You still have a stage to say, give me some work, especially if you have an un... I'm thinking of maybe it's a team like Tennessee. Maybe like whatever teams that maybe have uncertainty beyond the starter, whether it's a rookie that's really not going to have that much time ramping or uh, just not a lot of talent. I got to think it's better than this though. And so I, I don't, I don't know about this from Miller's standpoint. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times where we don't understand things about Lamar right. Miller. First it was his usage <laughs> and now it's this. So that, you know, okay. I, yeah. And, and this is obviously if Michelle goes on the pup, good news for Damien Harris. Yes. Because I can't, I mean, he's one of the 10 players, Katie. If I was making a list of guys that we really haven't seen too much of, or maybe they weren't healthy basically last year, he's on that list of, I would really want to see a two, three, four week window of let him roll with the starting job and let's see what happens. I mean, Rex Burkhead always feels like that. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Like he will never be like the 1.0 plan. And now that they brought in Miller, I mean, he's still going to be that use him in certain situations and not really the lead guy. 
but Harris could absolutely be the lead guy and and uh you know James White catching a bunch of passes and if Cam Newton's under center that could spell good things for for Harris certainly yeah and if this signing of Lamar Miller helps you get another share of Damian Harris just a little bit cheaper yeah. Man, that's what I would be doing right now is just... It's like third round. Trying, like third round rookie draft. I would be trying to get more shares of Damian Harris, and you may just have gotten a little bit of a discount. And this goes back to what I was saying about Gibson, which is day two running backs don't really go two years in a row without having some stint as the starter. And certainly not going into year three without being the earmarked week one starter. I mean, so this, so if if Harris rolls snake eyes this year, historically rare because we're talking about a multi-year starter from a pipeline program, and I always get confused because I don't go by stars, Katie. I go by the overall ranking, but he's a five-star guy, right? Yes, he was. He was like ninety-eight, ninety-nine, and I don't know where the cutoff is, but but yeah. So I mean, that profile, and I know I think he slipped a little bit in the draft beyond what he where he should have gone personally. Uh, I know he didn't have the best test ever. Um, but he did run the four fours at Alabama, and they're one of the few programs I actually trust uh, th- those results, those spring workouts more so than others, where it's like, dude ran a four one. <laughs> it's like coming out of coming out of uh, Marshall or something. Right. Actually, wait, roll back the tape. That was actually Randy Moss. <laughs> uh, so that may have happened. Um, okay. Um, any other uh, news related items or guys fallout, Lamar Miller um, type type reactionary stuff? Not that I can think of right now. Okay, um, so I wanted to clean up one or two things from from last week, some of these overarching kind of macro discussions or, or bullet points. Um, do you think age, as whatever that means to you, um, age is generally under or overvalued in Dynasty Leagues? I think it's overvalued in both directions, to be honest. I think that, that people overvalue youth to a, to a degree, and I think that they overvalue... Uh, you know, that I've got to get rid of XYZ player by the time they turn 27.2 or whatever that age cliff may be uh, <laughs> yeah. perceived in their mind. Um, and and that's where, that's the beauty of Dynasty. That's where you can get your bargains and, and that's where you can win or lose your championships. It really does feel like age, like you said, that curve of age versus production, you know, however that sliding scale works for somebody and then, I mean, I think there's some spillover from that, but then also uh, also rookie picks. I, I mean, I think those are the two areas that are generally the most, uh, let's call it disagreed upon or have the most variety of opinion uh, from owner to owner, league to league. You know, within the league, you're going to have a certain faction that, like you said, under, over, the middle, what is actually the middle? <laughs> you know, what are they quote unquote supposed to be? I mean, to me, it's a fascinating thing. But yeah, that whole, that's one thing, like the more I've looked into peak windows and predictability. And, and one thing is just looking at roster retention, I call it, which is, you know, how long do players typically stay on your roster? And I know, Katie, you mentioned, or actually, I think I did it for the, you know, the, the League of Terror that we were in together, where it's like, I, I think I actually asked you earlier this summer of like, hey, just offhand, you know, how many players do you think we still have from the startup draft, which is what, I think it was 2007, does 17 sound right? Maybe 16? I don't know. Yeah, 17 uh, sounds right. 17, 16, something like that. Uh, but the answer was very few is what I'll say. I can't remember what the actual number is. It was way less than five though. So it's like when you, so 
that kind of started, but this whole summer, the, the summer of summer of statistics or something or whatever you want to put on it, of just like, you know, more idle time, it means you can do more projects and more fun research. And you did that with, you know, looking at the um, the recruiting and, and how that translates from college to pro um, that I... I I learned that you're not keeping these guys. So the age part, what's funny is so if you value age super highly, just across the board, younger is better. If you say that without any qualifiers by position or by, well, does it really matter a 25-year-old quarterback versus a 23-year-old or, you know, 30 versus 28 or like like if you have no parameters on just in these cases this is when it does matter then I think you're you're very much overrating age because the likelihood is that player you have isn't going to be on your roster in two years, four years, six years, whatever time frame it is, that that it, it will actually matter by that point. But if you don't... So to me, it's almost like you're playing the game for trade value, right? If you're valuing age highly because everyone values age highly and you're doing it for the sake of trade value, then that means you don't, on some functional level, care about your team, right? And your lineup. So you're valuing age to please the marketplace. Right, right? I mean... For, and it, to please someone else. Yeah, and it's the same thing. I think I saw somebody with a question on Twitter, now that Lamar Miller has been signed by the Patriots, what's the least amount that you would take for him? <laughs> right now he's probably worth more on my roster than some random future pick. And I'd rather see, you know, I, I feel like Sony Michelle's probably going to be on the pup longer. If Damian Harris fizzles and Lamar Miller has a three week run as the starter, isn't that worth more to you on your team now than a future pick that may not even turn into anything and, and you've got to weigh that. You've got to take a look at that. Every owner has to put that into the equation for themselves. Is this a free bridge player? All of a sudden, I got a free bridge player. Should I take that or should I just trade him for whatever's the most I can get? Yeah. And I, I think one of the bigger things that I find interesting is these, these wide receivers. And I know you could easily, when it gets pull, the rug pulled out from under you, like a Calvin Johnson. Right. Yeah, I mean, where he just retires that, out that, of the blue. It just up and retires, and we're talking about an all-timer, and he got to, what was it? Is it 29 or 30? It was in that range that he retired. And he, so when you see those random scenarios, or Andrew Luck, and you can say, well, see, well, see, like, I don't think with Calvin Johnson, he was thinking, well, I, you know, hit my 30th birthday, and I said I was going to walk away. And, you know, I think it has more to do with the state of affairs than it has to do with, like he hit some age and it's like, well, now I want to focus on family and I want to go have kids. And, you know, I think it's more like I've had a lot of injuries and, you know, it's gotten to the final point. And you know what? The injuries or the cascade of things and the fact that it hasn't translated with Detroit to I don't have two Super Bowls or, you know, or like. So I, I think there's a myriad of things that go into it. Andrew Luck, he pretty much documented and and was very transparent about, why, you know, this is why I'm doing it. And it, you know, again, it's not because he reached an arbitrary age. So these outlier scenarios like that, I think in general, when the all timer 
I mean, Adrian Peterson is a good example. LaDainian Tomlinson is a good example. Um, but I'm thinking of these wide receivers that when they get to 29-30 and you start getting these massive discounts, I mean, look at A.J. Green, what, what's happening to him right now. I mean, if, if you pay what you pay to get him right now, if he puts up one A.J. Green-type season, I mean, you win that deal massively. I mean, and then every single one beyond that is like, you're just, you're going into a bank with a ski mask. Like, I don't even think you need a gun. Like, you know, I mean, they're just giving you the money just on the off chance that you had one. So I just, and again, I mean, that that's probably too graphic of a, of a point to make. But my point is, like, the discount is so heavy when they get to 29, 30. Like, some people are discounting Michael Thomas right now, and he's 27. On the off, ch- on the off chance that Drew Brees only plays this year. They're like, oh, got to start transitioning from Michael Thomas. Like someone traded Michael Thomas for DJ Moore and 111. I saw one go down in, in one of my leagues I mean, where it was Chris Godwin. It was uh, Michael Thomas and Jimmy Garoppolo in a start one quarterback league for Chris Godwin and I think a future second or right. something. Yeah, it's. And so Thomas has been doing it for how long? And you're hoping after, what, two more years, Godwin might be sort of on that Michael Thomas track, right? Yeah. So it's a real leap of faith. I mean, the whole, like, assuming, and I know DJ Moore is a good one to bring up. Uh, I mean, he's done less than, you know, his peak season is far less than Chris Godwin's. So at least Godwin did it for a year. But you're still kind of banking on it's not like they've done it Hopkins style, Thomas style, Mike Mike Evans Evans style. style. Like, you know, just, I mean, there's these guys that are just, you know, you're going to have these down years for pretty much anybody. I mean, maybe these running back peaks, you know, they string together four or five seasons in a row where it's like, whoo, look what just happened, you know, and, and, but usually there's bumps in the road. I mean, wide receivers, especially, you know, you got, got quarterback play, offensive line play, your own play. I mean, so many things going on, maybe one big injury, but, uh, but I mean, man, these guys with profiles that you're just going to throw aside on, you hope to get a guy with that pick that turns into doing what that guy has done. And the likelihood, I mean, we go over this all the time, you know, on the, on the football guy show that we all the time of just, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're just, you're looking a gift horse in the mouth when it's like, you're giving up that profile when they get to a point of highly predictable, it's going to happen again at some point. Right. Anyway. All right. So. And and so the other part I mentioned in passing uh, a few minutes ago was the you know rookie picks. Do you think they're generally under or overvalued? Well, it depends on who you are. I see a lot of people completely undervalue them and trade them like they're candy, and I see other people that will pay through the nose to get them without even realizing that they're paying through the nose and they think that they're getting a really good deal. But rookie picks and when to acquire them is an acquired skill. And just like any other trading in Dynasty, it has to be a Dynasty trade. And so the same thing goes. If you're trading into a horrible class, like the 2015 class, we knew for years that it was coming and that it wasn't going to be as deep. Now, yes, there are guys that hit from later and that's great, but you can't count on that. You can't count on a random third being the savior of your team two years down the road from now kind of thing. So acquiring picks in the right fashion doesn't have to kill your team. And the more that you have, the better your odds, because it's it's just like playing more hands in uh, 
blackjack or something, the more hands you play, the better the odds that you're going to hit on something. And will that make up for the price that you paid for acquiring all of those picks? It depends on how you valued them when you paid for them. Yeah, um, and like you said, I think I think a key thing you said was the playing, playing the time of year. You know, I mean, if you're generally one where you trade picks away um, in season, uh, you know, to kind of get stuff and again make a dynasty trade at those point. You'll you'll hear plenty on this show as we walk through every single mechanization on a weekly basis when we when we get there to games being played. And and I mean, we always go back to certain trades or certain players just to highlight it but again someone like matt jones who's a relic for a lot of people he was worth a first for a moment in time these running backs with jobs um and some sense of wow look they look pretty decent this past week i mean you can absolutely rise up to be worth a first round rookie pick uh, a second and something else you know a, a discounted distressed you know got hurt or still is working their way from a backup role into a more prominent one um rookie that was drafted you know much higher than that other player just a few months ago, uh, that could be a player you can easily acquire sometimes for a, a strong discount in season. So that's the type where people start chasing production. But if you sell rookie picks in season and then you, you feel like you're missing out and then you try to buy them leading up to the rookie draft and then in the rookie draft, yeah, I mean, you're kind of doing it the opposite order as opposed to selling flip players, selling hot potatoes and fugazis in season to get rookie picks when people are chasing streaming production and then you have the picks, you can be flexible, move up, move down, trade them away, do whatever you want when they're at their highest, which is during the rookie draft. And sometimes it can be very difficult to acquire rookie picks when the draft is going on because you've got an audience of one if you're trying to move on the clock and they can choose to ignore you and take their guy. Um, They can hold you over a barrel and say, this is the price, take it or leave it. And, so so doing so that's two extremes of you know you time it uh, the most correct if you're looking to acquire them and sell them and then the opposite would be you're kind of doing it backwards and you kind of get what you deserve uh, if you do it in that fashion where removed you know and you've always talked about maybe you look out two years you know to acquire picks just because the, if you can't get around one around two or whatever you're looking for um, you know you might be able to get more of a discount with that time factor um, going for you uh, two years out three years out whatever and as we know there's always that one or two owners in your league um, and sometimes it turns into a shopping spree where if you know there's that one owner that always trades their picks away very early you you keep checking back to that league for when for when the picks come out and are a part of your um, asset landscape because if you don't trade for that future first or second or third, someone else will <laughs> and and you got to get out there early send five offers. I have a couple of leagues that are exactly that and you know what it does kind of make it interesting because you know they're going to trade them away and they're going to trade them away for less than you value them. And uh, if you don't do it, someone will. And so it's always like a race to get there. Uh, and sometimes it's just a matter of, of getting on there and sending it before anybody else does. Absolutely. There was one league that I had joined, uh, taken over an orphan, I believe. And right as soon as I took over and I was looking around the landscape trying to figure out you know who likes to trade what, a trade went down and the guy gave away his future first, and this was last year, gave away his future first for Damian Williams. And I was like, ah, shoot. 
I yeah. wish I wish I would have known that. And then I tried to make other deals and uh, wasn't able to. And and now that guy is no longer in the league. So do the math. But <laughs> <laughs> shocker, they usually aren't. Right? Exactly. Exactly. A lot of people, unfortunately, uh, the I've seen the type before. They come in in a startup. They want to win all in year one or two, and then bolt. They have no. They have no interest in staying in that league beyond the first year or two and they'll trade away their future assets especially if you don't have to put down a deposit they'll demolish the team win or lose and be gone they almost view it i i would i'm trying to put myself in their shoes and i honestly think it's something like they view it as redraft but with less competition if that makes sense because out of the 12 teams let's face it i mean there's, there's gonna be some subset yeah yeah, that won't that won't have as good of odds as if everyone is playing straight up for one year only redraft, which is what it's called. That you know that there would be twelve teams, and in theory, going into the draft, exiting the draft, everybody has reasonably close to the same odds. Whereas the disparity between the top and the bottom, and whatever tiering that is, is is bigger in dynasty. Some people are looking more toward you know they've traded some of their startup picks down or out for future picks or players that might be hurt or rookies typically develop slower than drafting, you know, a guy that's second, third, fourth year right in that breakout window. And so I, I'm, I'm imagining that owner that's looking to get out, they do all that and they figure, Hey, I just have better odds than the, you know, 8.5%. I wouldn't a, a 12 team or redraft uh, of winning the league. This might be 9%, 10%, 11%. I don't know whatever number you're putting on it, but just a much better chance to, to win my league because you've got some some crazy build a dynasty folks in this dynasty league that, that, that want to win three titles in five years as opposed to have a little bit better chance year one. And they have two opportunities to do so. The startup draft when people are potentially trading back out of rounds and they're trading futures to get extra firepower up front. But then right before the playoffs, they know which teams are the bottom six teams and they yep. know that they're probably not going to need an asset into next year that's on the older side and they'll give you peanuts for that again not worrying about mortgaging the future because they're not planning on staying and cleaning up the mess that they made so they have Have two chances and then you know it's you want the people in your league to be of similar dynasty uh ownership like um chops you don't want to have two marks because they're going to be marks for everybody it's not you necessarily that's even going to benefit in fact most often they're going to screw the entire league uh maybe with the exception of one or two owners but it's kind of like i'll I'll use the blackjack analogy again if you're at a table with people that know what they're doing you're much better chance to win against the dealer than if you've got somebody that's a newbie that comes in and sits down and is constantly hitting when they've got a, a six or a five, you know, showing and taking away the face card that the dealer, you know, the dealer has a five or a six showing and or a six showing and you know that they've got to take a hit, uh, you know, it screws up the whole table. It's the same thing with Dynasty. <laughs> that was a really good analogy. Even though um, I, I have misspoke one more. a couple times, but you know what I mean. No, 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 but I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I have one more direct question if you want to roll it into final thoughts. Um, but have you ever had a team, whether it's you took over an orphan or 
just before the year or before the rookie draft got there, you literally had no picks in the draft. Yes. None. Yes, I have. What was the circumstance? It was uh, heading into 2015 when I knew that that was not a great class and I had a good enough team where I wanted to try my best to win that 2014 championship or was it? No, I'm sorry. 2019. Which class did we just have that was not that good? Was it 2019? 19 was viewed as not that good. Yeah, 19. Uh, Before that, it would have been maybe 15 or 16. Yeah, so 19. We knew for a while 19 wasn't going to be that good, that 20 was going to be deep and better, yeah. Uh, yeah much better and I had in some leagues where I was in a good place I went ahead and, and traded my future picks for assets in a dynasty trade was it well no but it was it during the during 2018 the season, season yes. or was it for 18 picks like did you trade into that class, which obviously it was while we were a doing combination. It was it's been a while. Okay. I don't remember exactly. But you didn't. But, but, you guys, but I, I didn't have any. 19, I went into the draft none. with zero picks, and and you didn't trade for any. I didn't trade for any. I was fine with it. I was. You were just on the sideline. You were like, I like my team, and yep. good on you. I'll see you in 2020. Yep. <laughs> okay. Wow. And that was by design, and it was early in advance. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I know. Have you? I know. I no, I haven't. Um, I've had some. I've had some where. You know, I haven't had a first round pick. I think I've even had one or two sporadic ones where I haven't had a first or a second in random circumstances. But like I took over some orphans this offseason and for sure, like I specifically, if it wasn't I mean, I had a sliding scale and I specifically like the ones that were one had a one oh one or one oh two, you know, Jonathan Taylor area, I was you know, I had I was a lot more liberal in sort of what does the roster need to look like. You know, having an early first, early second versus if it's 107 and something, you know, 207, et cetera. And especially like the ones that didn't have a first or a second. And I was like, I really like this class. It's a way to make your team your own. And it's a big turnoff. Like I know why there should be big, uh, you know, big protections to some degree. And that's why I've always said about just having a deposit from everybody. Because if you have an orphan and you don't have a first round pick and especially if you don't have a first or second or something. I mean, you're just, you're, you're kind of hamstringing them like the new owner if it's not a dispersal because, man, how am I going to change this team? Especially if you, it's not like you got three top 20 players and it's like, well, I can trade, you know, easily trade one or two of them, get a haul for them, you know, maybe get some picks, get some other up and coming players that I like, really build out this core. I mean, it's really difficult in some of those circumstances to truly turn your your team around before you start getting picks back, make the team your own, and especially if you don't have much utility in the marketplace with assets. I mean, that this is a whole big discussion we could have on orphans and things like that. But just, but just you know, so that that that's one thing I was thinking about this off season where it's like I was going through dozens of teams and looking at them, comparing them, and man, the ones where it's like they had no first in a good class where you're like, that could really help me, man, the the core level of existing players just has to be so much better because you're kind of losing a, a pretty high level one if you don't have a high pick. Uh, so any final thoughts or wrap time? My final thoughts, I just want to say, stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, we're, we're finally getting to where we're going to have some football, I hope. And I'd like to see the season continue. Um, I know people are getting antsy. I personally have been cooped up in this house for way too long, but 
stay safe, continue to do the things that you're doing to protect yourself and your families. And just a uh, forewarning, pre-warning, uh, reminder, whatever you want to call it, I am beginning work on this year's Under the Helmet Jeopardy that will be within the next few yes. weeks that's coming up. This is always where Katie humbles us. <laughs> I've got some new like ammunition with, with the rookies and stuff coming in and some different names for the Katie, before and after and stuff. Katie, you literally could just have the same exact show. <laughs> you guys would forget. <laughs> and we would still do as poorly. We may get one more question right. I don't know. I have amnesia. I have, you, you teach Jeopardy amnesia. Like this is not, <laughs> I really stink at this for how much like stuff, random stuff rolling around. It's all of my, my brain's choosing at the moment. So, but when you a- a- ask me to recall it, oh my God, I, I am so humbled. And it oscillates. Like we have these random questions, Tim Jordan and I, where it's like, oh, I'm a genius. And then for like 20 minutes, we just like sit and we don't know anything. And I do, <laughs> I do try to vet all of the answers ahead of you time. I to make it fair. And so if there's any listeners that would like to be involved in helping me vet, uh, please hit me up on Twitter and I will see if I can accommodate. I don't want to have too many and I don't want to reveal who is helping because I don't want them to be bribed by you or Tim or Jordan. That, honestly, that would be no fun. If yeah. I had all the answers, that that still wouldn't be fun. I like the fun of, of having bad guesses. That's <laughs> half the fun for me. Um, yeah, that's a very good thing. And you are at Skylar. Oh, yeah, uh, at FF, FF underscore, underscore Skylar, through Skylar 399. Yep. I'm at Chad Parsons NFL. Do want to remind you, patreon.com slash UTH. Um, you get some great insider. You kind of get my my machinations. You get a lot of project reveals and data stuff I'm working on um, before it comes out in article or podcast form, fully formed. Um, I also have started, uh, there's going to be a couple, already had one in August. You can re-listen to that, but also have one coming up. Um, And it's going to be almost weekly in season of VIP strategy sessions. So that's going to be a live call with folks. And so again, for just a a few bucks a month, um, you can support UTH. Again, keep it ad-free. You're going to get exclusive content. Tim is on there doing a weekly feature show. We do a huge waiver wire breakdown during the regular season and we're going to get close to that, you know, in the next few weeks of just starting to talk about the waiver wire every single week. And right now we're just filling in the gaps with some macro topics. Um, but again, patreon.com slash UTH. So for Katie flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties.